Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you. Help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Marriage. Marriage is a word of solemn beauty. Connects our thoughts to the home and the tenderest, most sacred relationship in life. Instituted at a time when man was still living in paradise. God made the institution of marriage before he did a church, before he did a government, before he did a society. Commended by the Apostle Paul to be honored among all people. Beautified, sanctified by our Lord's presence at a wedding that took place in a city called Canaan of Galilee. And it is a picture of a spiritual union which exists between the Lord Jesus Christ and his very own church. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Well, I think I've recited that opening paragraph or something similar to it and asked that exact same question well over 2,000 times in the last 40 years to couples of all ages. Guys and girls who just got out of high school wanting to get married and those that were in their 20s and those that were in their 30s, in their 40s, 50s. I think the oldest couple I ever married was turning 70, that both of them were widowed, and they decided they wanted to get married. And I'll never forget how nervous I was the first time as a young minister performing a wedding ceremony. I was 19 years of age. I was hoping it would be small, but it was not a small wedding. It was a large Texas wedding. It was on a horse ranch. The groom and the groomsmen all rode in on horseback, the bride came in on a, like a chuck wagon thing with her dad driving it, and I mean, it was a huge wedding. Well, I went down, I bought a western suit because that's what they asked for. I got a western tie, wore some cowboy boots, and I stood there in front of them, and I asked God, please don't let me mess up her special day. Now, I know probably none of you think of it from the standpoint of a minister, but I'm telling you right now, if you have, just be with me for a second, I mean, I did not want to be nervous. I did not want to shake. The hand is already, or the bride is already nervous enough, so the last thing she needs is for the minister to be, uh, 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 uh. I didn't want to mess up any transitions. I didn't want to forget a song. I wanted to make sure I did it exactly the way she wanted it because I did not want to mess up her day. Well, after a couple of hundred weddings, I decided that we were going to make sure that the couple knew prior to the wedding that if they were going to have a marriage at last, they would need to be willing to spend up to a hundred times the amount of money that they spent on that one wedding on their marriage throughout the years. Because so many times the emphasis is on the wedding. It could be a $500 wedding, a $50,000 wedding. It doesn't make any difference. The statistics are still the same. Only half of them are going to make it. It doesn't matter how much you spend. But when you have a couple that is devoted to spending whatever it takes, whatever it costs, doing whatever it takes to make a marriage work, if that means spending money on seminars, conferences, if it means you sit down in front of a counselor at $235 an hour, whatever you have to do, you're in this thing. You're in it. 
So I also, after a couple of hundred more marriages, ceremonies, I began to make sure that with all the things that went into a ceremony that that couple laser-focused on their vows, that they, in the middle of the ceremony, would stop paying attention to the little ring bearer, as cute as she was, who was twirling her pillow, or the groomsman who had a little bit too much to drink the night before and was about to get sick all over the place, that they would focus on each other when it came to their vows, when it came to their covenant, when it came to their promise to spend the rest of their lives together. Well, my mom and dad were married for 50 years before my dad went home to be with the Lord. My mom's 88, still living in Florida. My wife's parents married over 50 years. Both of them now are in heaven together. They spent their last days together, of course, as married couples, both of them. Man and I are still getting along after 40 years, and I think that's, you know, that's a little something in this day and age. So as a result of that, my son said, Dad, would you talk to us about longevity in relationships? And I said, well, I'd be happy to. And I was going to throw that word longevity into the title until I looked at what the definition of longevity meant. And here it is on the side screen. Take a look at it. Longevity, everybody read it, means endurance. Well, we're not going for that, are we? <laughs> I mean, really, we don't just want to prolong the existence that we have with each other, do we? We're not just trying to endure each other, are we? I mean, I think if it's all what God wants it to be, this is supposed to be a relationship that rocks, that is on fire, that you become best friends and more and greater best friends as the years go by. That's why we titled it, I Still Do. I Still Do. Well, any long-lasting relationship is going to begin with dating. Now, when you are dating an individual, that is the time that you have to understand what you are getting. And here's what I want everybody to know in the room. You will never find Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. He does not exist on this planet. Now, you can find Mr. Right. Mr. Right for you. And you can find Mrs. Right. You will never find Mrs. Perfect. She does not exist. And you can find Mrs. Right for you. But the thing about marriages and dating is that we don't really get to see the truth of what it is that comes with that imperfect person that you're going to promise the rest of your life to. Now, straight out of high school, the couple may look like this. Bam. Straight out of high school, one piece of luggage each. That's not bad. You can sort through that six, eight months worth of dating. You can find out, wait a minute, she was called names when she was younger. Oh, you found out, well, her self-esteem is a little wounded. You can find out that he, well, he was bullied a little bit. You can also find out that mm, she had a mom and dad that didn't stay together, so there's some of that going on. Maybe a little rejection. Maybe, you know, an older brother or older sibling, you know, was mean to her a little bit. Maybe she was called names. Maybe he was called names. And you kind of sort through all that and go, okay, okay, we got this. Been through it. It looks good. Now, here's the problem. If you wait after college, which is fine, if you wait until somebody gets into their 30s, and maybe now they're bringing a divorce with them. 
They're bringing a couple of kids with them. They're bringing some child support with them. And you look at this guy, ladies, and he's got a really good job, and he drives a really nice car. However, you've got to see him as this. He's picked up more baggage along the way. And then she doesn't look like she used to. She looks like this. Now, now here's two different groups of men in the room. Some of you see a cute brunette. I see a gigantic mess, right? Now, she can't help it. She didn't create all those bags herself. Believe me in this life, people will pile on more bags. But the longer you wait to go into a marriage relationship, if you wait a really long time, pretty soon you begin to look like this. Okay? Now, I just scared half of you to death. Some of you that are single in here that are approaching 30, you went, oh, great. That is really bad. That is not bad. That is life. That is just the way life is. And it's not that that person or you created all the baggage that you're carrying around today. The truth of the matter is lots of people piled it on you throughout your lifetime. And, 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 and that's okay. It's okay that you have a lot of baggage because we all do. Now, if you started out as a married couple right out of high school and you only had one little tiny bag, and he only had one little tiny bag, you have created more baggage along the way. The good news of that is you knew what went in the baggage because you are the ones that stuck it in there and you put a few more over there on her side when she didn't want it. So therefore, this is why if you are going to have a long-term relationship and you are a single adult in your 20s and you're a single adult in your 30s or 40s, you have got to ask a lot of questions. Dating is a time, read it, for you to ask a lot of questions. Right, right, right. Because there's some things that you need to know. That's why when it comes to another person, you need to run all of their stuff through like a TSA agent on a code orange. We're going to open this up. We're going to spread this out. And you go out on a date with that individual and you start the date by saying, how are you? Says, you look good. He says, I thank you very much. I appreciate that. How are you? You look good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But my other question is, who are you? <laughs> who are you? If you don't mind, we're going to ask you a few questions. <laughs> Have any of your bags been out of your direct supervision for any period of time whatsoever? <laughs> and are you fully aware of what is inside of your bags where there is no surprises? Is there anything in your possession that could hurt me or my children at any time during this inspection? I mean interview. Is there anything that you have? Let's get started. What is your name? Is that your real name? Do you have any aliases or fake online profiles? I need to know. Where do you live? Do you live in your own home? Do you live in an apartment? Do you live in a van down by the river? Do you live in your mama's basement? I need to know. 
Is your mom and your dad still together? How does your dad act when he gets mad? How do you act when you get mad? Do you storm out? Do you throw things? Do you cuss a lot? Do you beat up on people? I need to know. Do you have a job? Where do you work? How long have you worked there? How much money do you make? Do you change jobs often? Are you in a lot of debt? What is your credit score? Can I see your credit score? If you were to die today, could you pay for your own funeral? I, I need to know. Well, when you blink your eyes, are those eyelashes yours? <laughs> or did you buy them in a store? Is that your real hair? It looks real nice, but are those extensions? What do you look like without makeup? Tomorrow night when we go out, would you mind not wearing any makeup? Because, yeah, you men left me hanging on that one. Yeah, I need to know. Do you take showers or do you take baths? Do you shower in the morning or do you shower at night? Do you go two or three days without taking a shower? What is your relationship with soap and water? I need to know. I got a bunch more. We haven't even got into the crazy paragraph yet. Is your ex crazy? Anybody in your ex's family crazy? Are you crazy? Because we're all full up on crazy. Don't want any crazy. But dating is a time that you need to know. Well, Pastor, I've never seen him mad. Don't marry him. Do not marry a man that you have not seen get mad yet because you don't know him. You know his online profile. You know a snapshot of who he is. You've got a date to get to know that person. And you say, well, if I know everything is in their baggage, it might be a deal breaker. It might be a deal breaker. But I'm not saying any of those things are. That's up to you. But when you finally get through all of that to be able to realize this is Mr. Right or this is Mrs. Right to you, you do that after a process of asking as many questions as you can possibly Ask, because there are things you need to know. And when you marry that person, you have got to be all in. If we marry an individual, the only way it's going to last, the only way it's going to work is if we are 100% all in that relationship. We cannot have one foot out the door. With Anna, for the last 40 years, I've been all in. That woman, if she still wants me, will have the very last breath that I breathe out of my lungs. She will have the very last heartbeat that beats in my chest on this planet. If she still wants it, it will be hers when I leave here. Because I am 100% fully committed, risk it all, spend it all, do it all, whatever it takes to make sure that that covenant, lifelong relationship is everything God wants it to be. You see, this marriage is a lifelong covenant. It is not a contract. Our government tries to turn it into a contract, and so do lawyers. It has never started out that way. Now, here's a couple of things that I must do if I'm going to be a married man. Now, now, and this is important. I want to say this. I want to give a little disclaimer right up front. Whether you have had a divorce or not, whether this is, you've been in three marriages or not, I do not care. Whether you are single or whether you are married in here, whether you are upset with each other, whether you had this bad past, whether you had a fight before you got here, I, I do not care. I will never take a person backwards 
Because I believe that everything we have ever been done can be forgiven up underneath the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can start brand new today right here in the nine o'clock service of Fellowship Church. So I am only interested in taking you forward. So for you to have a guilt trip of something that is you've done in your past or been a part of in your past, that is on you, ladies and gentlemen. It is not on me because I'm not going back there with you. All I know is that if I want to be a husband who can have a marriage that lasts for a long time, there are a couple of things that I have got to know. Number one, I have got to know that my heavenly father's going to pay for it. Because if I'm not just in this for two years and I'm going to rent an apartment and I'm going to drive an old car and I'm going to get her whatever, and then all of a sudden in two years I'm going to take the old beat-up pickup truck and the, and the hound dog and leave with a bad credit score and everything, if that's what it's all about, I can do that on myself. I, I can make that happen. But if this thing's going to last for the long run and she's going to want a house and she's going to want furniture up inside of that house and she's going to want clothes that she can wear and a car she can drive that will not break down and investments that make good return on the investments and kids that are good and they can go to school and we can do this and we can do that and we can take a vacation from time to time. I am going to need a whole lot of money. So since, God, this institution of marriage was your idea in the first place, and you gave me a very expensive woman, I need you to put money right there in my hand. Because I work for your company. This is your business, not mine. When I was dating Anna, uh, I was 17 years of age. I had not, my parents had never bought me clothes for school after the age of 15. Never. I bought all my own clothes. 17, I bought a brand new car, so I had a brand new car payment. I had my own insurance, and I paid for that, and that was high. And, and, and I had some money in the bank. So Anna and I would go out for dates. When we'd go out for a date, I, I didn't want to go, you know, go to the bank, get money out of the bank. So I would go to my dad, and I would say, Dad, I need some money. I need some date money. Now, my dad never gave me any money, but he had a company. So he had, have you, how many of you have ever been to a Cracker Barrel restaurant? Will you raise your hand? You know the rocking chairs that sit out in front of Cracker Barrel? Those seats in those rocking chairs, have you ever seen how they're hand-woven? That's called a rush seat. Well, my dad's company did rush seats, repaired them, and also uh, replaced them. And my dad hated doing them. It hurt his hands, his arthritis, and things like that. So he hated them. He put the price tag on them really high if somebody wanted one done. And I knew that. So I went to my dad and said, I'll do all your rush seats for you. He said, that's great. He said, son, that's great. I'll give you 15 bucks a chair. I said, no, I'll do it for 25. He said, that's cutting into my profit. I said, you want them done? <laughs> All right, son, 25. So I said, Anna, let's stop. And I could do one in a couple of hours, hand weave these things. So I, I, I told Anna, I said, honey, you want to go out? You, we're going to go on a date. we go to a movie. And I said, hey, would you mind helping me rush seat a couple of chairs? She, oh, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. She, she'd never done it. So we went over to my dad's house, or my parents' house, of course, where I was living, and I, I, I pulled a couple of chairs out of the garage because he'd always, you know, work on them at night, you know, watching TV. So she, she pulled, we pulled a couple of chairs out, and, and she'd kind of take the spool with the rush on it, and she would go through the, the, rail, the rails and around the, you know, the, the rods and things like that, and I'd tighten them as we were going around. We could do one in an hour and 10 minutes. So two hours and 20 minutes later, I'm going back to my dad going, 50 bucks, please. Looks good, son. Looks good, Anna. Bam, 50 bucks. Woo, I love it. You know what that was? I was a part of my dad's business, and my dad paid for my dates. 
Roll the clock forward 42 years, 40 of them married. I am still part of my heavenly father's business, and my heavenly father still pays for my dates. And I got to know I have it. I got to know it. That is a weight that every man in this room carries. And I'm going to tell you something. It is too heavy for you to carry by yourself. You got to have your father's help. Well, in the book of Malachi. Now, when I said Malachi, every one of you that have been in church for a long time just freaked out. Oh, gosh, you're going to talk about Malachi chapter 3. You got to bring the tide. Blah, 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 blah. Malachi has four chapters. In those four chapters, God sends a prophet by the name of Malachi to his kids to answer questions. He didn't start it. The kids started it. One of the questions was, how can we not be blessed? And Malachi shows up to the children of God in Israel and says, because you're robbing God. And they go, we're not robbing God. Yeah, you are. You're keeping the first tenth. You keep the first tenth. That's his. So he's cursed you. You're not getting anymore. You're not going anywhere. It's all going to be bad. And they said, what do we do? Bring the tithe. You can turn it around. Just bring the tithe. You weren't doing it. Start doing it. Bring the tithe. Blessings on you. That's chapter 3. Back it up. Chapter 2. The, the children of Israel are saying to this, God, God, you act like you don't pay attention to us when we pray. We're crying on your altar, and you act like you don't care, and you're not paying attention. Take a look at the side screen. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife and body and in spirit? You are his, and what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. You were doing it. Stop doing it. Guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now watch this. Divorced people in here just heard, some of you, God hates people who get divorced. But that is not what he said. Divorce is something that happens to God's children. Let me give it to you the way he said it. God said, I hate what has happened to you because I understand the overwhelming cruelty that you have experienced that caused you to pull around three more bags for the last 15 years. So therefore, guys, don't be unfaithful. Now, for every man in here, because I'm a guy too, we know that there is way more than just one way to be unfaithful to your wife these days. So we immediately feel a lot of guilt. Well, man, I don't know if God's going to hear my prayers anymore. I blew it. I saw this, said this, witnessed that, done that. And we feel like, but God just says, okay, it hasn't been working out for you. Just start being faithful to her. Just stop that. I, uh, I was watching the news the other day about some Hollywood producers that were, you know, doing some things that uh, were inappropriate. That's the, that's the correct word, inappropriate. And... Uh, some things have happened in government where you see inappropriate behavior or society. 
And at workplace, almost every week, there's inappropriate behavior. So God says, be faithful to your wife. And then he says this. He says, uh, here's how you treat. Here's the correct protocol, code of behavior, code of behavior that should be in you when it comes to the opposite sex who is not your mate. And then he tells us. Because what he's saying is, you need money, bring me the first part, I'll give you the rest, I'll give you what you need. You, you need your prayers answered because I'm, I'm an ask monster, I ask for a lot. And I need him to pay attention and not ignore me, so I can't be unfaithful to Anna. So I got to, you know, make sure I'm good there. And then God says, so here's how, here's how. All of you that are married, this is how you treat another woman who's not your wife. Women, women, this is how you treat another man who, who is not your husband. God says, here's protocol, a code of behavior, so that that doesn't happen, so that you don't feel like I'm ignoring you when you ask me for stuff. Tim and I were at Larchwood the other day, uh, and we, were, we visited one of our members that was there, and we prayed over him. They fell, broke a hip. They were in rehab. And... Um, we, uh, we prayed for that, that person, and as we were walking out of Larch, Larchwood, um, which is a beautiful facility, by the way, as we were walking out of a skinny little sidewalk going from one building to the next, and you know me and Pastor Tim, we're talking, yeah, yeah, you got your daughter getting married, yeah, okay. Well, this caregiver nurse, younger, walked out of that other building and was walking toward us. Well, I kind of glanced up, saw her out of the corner of my eye, I didn't know where she's going, but as we kept walking, the next time I saw her, she is off the sidewalk, walking in the grass, to go in her high heels going around us. And she stumbled a little bit and it caught my attention. And I, and I went, oh, oh my gosh, ma'am, I am, I am so sorry. We should have gotten out of your way, let you have the sidewalk. That was so rude of us, I apologize. And she, she spoke back. She, she said, oh gosh, don't worry about it, guys. It's okay, well, I'm fine. She said that. But it bothered me. I don't think it bothered Pastor Tim, but I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I went home and told Anna what happened. I said, man, I can't believe that. You know, I try to be, you know, hold doors and things like that. She said, honey, honey, nobody teaches people that anymore. I said, what are you talking about? She said, really, honestly, think about it. Where are younger people and younger men being taught to hold a door for a woman if their fathers aren't teaching them? Where? You tell me where. Well, I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to embarrass anybody in here. I don't want to talk down to anybody in here, but, but, but I'm not sure, and I think you guys are, got it down, but, so don't get insulted by this, but I want to tell you what God said about how we ought to, how we ought to treat each other. Because, man, I, I watched Anna walk into a mall one time. I, I was parked, dropped her off up front. It was windy outside. Dropped her. She didn't want her hair all messed up. I dropped her off, parked the car. And as she walked in the room, the, 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 the mall, I, I was walking, I looked up there, I saw two men walk ahead of her and drop a door on her. Businessmen, dressed nice. And when she got inside, she was kind of walking through the, the hallway a little bit to kind of get in past the door, so, you know, the wind and stuff. And as she did, there was four or five teenagers standing in the middle of the aisle. And as she walked up to them, she had to go around them. And I walked in and said, excuse me, fellas, and they split for me. And I thought, what is going on? What is happening? Well, anyway, God says this. Second, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Mm, i got to hurry. Never speak harshly to an older man. I played golf with Bill Kilgore. He's in his 80s. He doesn't look it. I'd fight a bear with Bill Kilgore. But I let him win because he's an older man.
Lord, I, Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to a younger man as you would your own brother. <laughs> That's why I talk to you guys the way I talk to you. Talk to you like I would a brother. Treat older women as you would your mother. I'd hold the door for my mom. I'd step out of the way if my mom needed to walk by. I'd carry something from my mom. I'd speak respectfully to my mom. And here's one. Treat younger women with all purity as you would your own. What? Hey, sis. How y'all doing? Let me tell you something I would never do with my mom or my sister. I would never flirt with them. Gross. I'll just say what you're all thinking, ew, right? But I've had men tell me, you know what, I, I got in trouble. Why'd you get in trouble? Well, I was flirting with this woman at work, and my wife found out about it and sent an inappropriate text. She got all upset. I said, well, why are you flirting with some other woman? He said, you know, man, come on, you're a guy. You know, I just want to know at 40-something years of age, I still got it. That's all. It's innocent. Doesn't mean a thing. Well, it means something that ticked her off. That mean nothing. I said, well, I just want to know I still got it. It. I said, let me tell you how you can know for the rest of your life that you still have it. If the woman who knows you better than any other woman on this planet still wants to be with you knowing all that she knows, then, buddy, you must still have it. Three problems exist in every marriage relationship. Number one, hurt from the past. Number two, quirks in your personality. And number three, ignorance when it comes to the opposite sex. <laughs> I don't care how old you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many marriage you have, how many, many years you've been married. They all still exist. Hurts from the past. Everybody's got them. Pastor Dan spoke a message last week. One of the most brilliant. Forgive it. Let it go. Hurts from the past. Throw it aside. Woo. Everybody's got hurts from the past. Everybody. 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 Quirks in your personality. Oh, come on. What you talking about? Every person in here has quirkiness in your personality. You have and will continue to say things that come out of your mouth that make people awkward. And your wife and you will wish that you could retreat them back into your mouth. The bullet is out of the chamber. It is gone. You have a quirk in your personality. When we first came to Grand Junction in 1989, there wasn't a church in town that was running more than four to 600 people, and I think there was only one church doing that. Bunch of churches running 50, 60, 100 people, 200 people. We came to church. God used us, bless us. We became the fastest growing church in a very quick period. All of a sudden, people started coming, people started coming, people started coming, we started growing, getting real estate, doing this, building this building. And then we started adding it up. And we found out that over 20,000 people have come through the doors of Fellowship Church. And, I, and, and, I, and many of them just came in and kicked the tire and left. Some of them came in and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and left. Some of them came in and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, got a little bit of discipleship and left. And I thought, well, we still got a whole bunch of people here, but it ain't 20,000. And I told God one time, I said, God, I, I, that was not my plan. 
So it must have been my personality. <laughs> you say, I'm not being serious. I think it's funny. I asked God, I said, God, should I have my feelings hurt? He didn't answer. <laughs> Two or three weeks later, I'm talking about something else me and Anna wanted to do. And out of nowhere, God asked me this question. Did you really want to pastor 20,000 people? No. I want to have a life. I wouldn't want that for my staff at the time. Ooh, no. Lord, no. But here's what I want you to understand. There, and I told God, I said, I think, God, you, you let us have the best of the best and gave all the other churches in town the rest. <laughs> I don't know if that's okay for me to feel that way or not, but that's how I feel. I feel that way right here. Take a look at this ignorance when it comes to the opposite sex. Pastor, are you saying you're ignorant when it comes to the opposite sex? I have read everything. I know how to read about you women. Everything. I feel like I got you figured out. You're my sisters, and I try to talk to you like you were my sisters. I try to support you, love you, help you, teach you, aggravate you. I try to do it all. I play the role. But there are things I don't know. You've been married 40 years. You tell me you don't know, Anna? I have never in 40 years been married to a 58-year-old grandma. It is a new day for Pop Pop. And I don't want to shock her, but I'm not the same guy I was when I was 25. Ignorance when it comes to the opposite sex plays into every marriage difficulty that's going to come. Well, if we're going to all these things play into it, we're going to have a lifelong marriage. You can never marry a lazy person because marriage is going to take a lot of work. Marriage is going to take a lot of work. You can't just say, well, we love each other and everything's fine. You can love each other and everything be a mess. So here are some rules for you. Here is my advice that's come down. I'm going to give them to you fast. Number one, you got to be a good forgiver. Is it up there? Be a good forgiver. Dan talked about that last week. Woo, yeah, that's good. Throw them down, get rid of them. Number two, value kindness and respect in your relationship. Let me tell you something as we get older, me and Anna. The most important thing in our relationship is kindness and respect. All you 20s and 30s can think of something more important, can't you? You get married to that woman for 30 years, and I'm going to tell you what matters. That home is a sanctuary where you want to be. And if there's no kindness and there's no respect there, you don't want to be there. Kindness and respect. Let me give you the next one. We'll skip that scripture. Got to retreat to your own corners. Retreat to your own corners. Man, I got to go talk to my heavenly father. She's got to go talk to hers, and then we get together. Keep planning ahead. Oh, man, I watch some of you couples that have been married for a long time. You guys know how to do this. This keeps this from being a Groundhog Day experience. You put something on the calendar, it could just be a trip to Fruta. Going out to wine country and Palisade. It don't have to cost a lot of money. But you got to keep planning stuff ahead so that you don't turn into a Groundhog Day type of living. Establish some good ground rules. Establish some good ground rules. You don't need this when you're younger, but I'm hurrying. I really am hurrying. You don't need this when you're younger, but you got to have this when you get older. Here's some ground rules that me and Anna have. Number one, nobody kisses the other person on the mouth in the morning before both people have brushed their teeth. I 
I know you newlyweds. Ooh, man, you roll over in bed and kiss each other on the mouth, put a little tongue action in there when your breath could peel the wallpaper right off the wall. Rule number one, you do not kiss me with coffee breath. You brush first, I brush first. That's rule number one. Rule number two, we do not correct each other concerning minor details when telling a story. We went to, going to Delta last week, stopped in Delta. We weren't going to Delta, we were going to Montrose. We just stopped there because, and we went on Tuesday. It wasn't Tuesday, it was Monday. Monday, we went on Monday. Nobody cares about the minor details of your story. Shut up. If I say it, swear to it, and we'll correct the details later. And number three, the most important marriage advice ever given to us from an older couple that I have ever heard and here it is, the most valuable marriage rule you'll ever set. You do not have to hear what the other person is saying if the other person is not in the same room with you when they say it. <laughs> you 20-year-olds are thinking, what's that about, man? My wife's in the other room changing the baby. Honey, would you come in here? Would you help me change the baby? You got the diaper, you're already running in there from three rooms over. I, I can't hear the smoke alarm when it goes off anymore. There you go. That's good. Great long lasting marriage. I'll tell you something. It ought to look like two people healing each other. It ought to look like two people constantly working on healing themselves. The path to your marriage, well, it ought to look like a yard sale in a windstorm. We're two and a half years into the marriage. Honey, I've told you now for two and a half years how beautiful you are. I just want you to know you're beautiful today. And she reaches down in that baggage and she takes something out of it that looks like some name-calling that she received. She lets go of it on the path. She said, I guess I don't need to carry that one around then anymore, do I? And she takes something else out, and he takes something else out. And it takes a while to just get rid of it, and pretty soon they're dropping a bag, and then they're dropping another bag, and they're going, we, we're done with that one, we're done with that one. And it looks like a bad yard sale on a windy day. I wish marriage vows could be more real because if they were, they'd sound something like this. Do you take this person to be your lifelong patient? Do you solemnly promise before God and their very messed up family that you will love, honor, and keep them and continually Rescuing them while they rescue you in turn and forsaking all others, you will keep faithfully unto them for the rest of your life. And all the married couples said,
Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.